grateful for these burdens that we get to bear, uh, to walk with one another through life. What a privilege, Father, to be able to think of all the people that we have walked with and seen them safely to the other shore, that someday we will also join them. And uh, Father, we're grateful for life. I pray for for my mother-in-law, Joanne. I pray, Father, for her healing. Uh, Lord, we know that, that... a lot of these things and what she's dealing with is is probably it's something unless you do a miracle which we know you can do uh, our look and our prayer is is that you would sustain her and allow her to improve uh, so that she can have um, an easier time of it and, and Lord we love her and we want her here more we'd love to see her get strong enough to even come to church Lord we just commit her to you and pray for your blessing bless Bless Dad as he uh, serves her, loves her. Thank you for him. Thank you for his tireless. Uh, reminds me, Father, of Jim with Betsy. Just uh, tireless, the, the couple that, um, just so thankful for them, Lord. Bless them. And uh, I pray um, for Pat Sanino that you'd encourage her, heal her body so that she can get that gallbladder removed, encourage their hearts. I pray for Ethan, Father. Would you please... Touch his body, and I pray, Father, that he would look to you more and more through this long ordeal. It is going to require your grace, your strength. I pray for Bill and Jen for wisdom and patience there. Just pray that you'd be glorified and that Ethan uh, would would make a, a, a great comeback and, a, and a he, that you would heal him. Thank you for that, Father. I pray for Serena, that you would just help her to... Her, her, Mike to overcome this sickness, and I pray for her healing from the surgery completely. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray, um, just pray for John Anderson and Amelia as they have been treated for cancer, Father, and we look forward to hearing the word that they are cancer-free. Whenever that comes, we know it's not right away. And then others, Lord, we thank you for Noreen being here today after battling COVID. And thank you for all those that are joining us online. And thank you for the church body that makes up this this group. I do pray for uh, Amelia and Portia and those traveling with them, that you grant them safety. Bless Josh. Please give Josh safety once he leaves Tuesday. Pray for a great orientation. Uh, help prepare him. And, and help, I pray, Father, that he would make a connection with, I think, these other three people that are going with him. And uh, may they be effective in in what they are doing, and that may they make some great relationships, and just pray you be glorified there. And uh, Lord, I pray you bless uh, Liberty Baptist Academy, as I know the nobles are, I think it's a graduation, Father, bless the school and their proceedings tonight. And Father, bless our time in your word. I pray that our dear Savior would be glorified. Thank you for everyone that's here tonight. Bless us, please, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, tonight we're in 1 John chapter 5. We're gonna, our, our, our focus is going to be on verse 6. Verse 8 really flows from that. Uh, but we want to look at verse 5 so that we can uh, go back and get the context. Last week, the theme was from verses 4 and 5, overcoming the world. He mentioned that, I think, three times in those two verses. So let's look at verse 5, which leads into verse 6. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. And this over and over again, he's been challenging and and pounding this point about how important it is 
that we believe not in any Jesus, but in the Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God that came and became, became man, who they, their eyes beheld, that, and they were witnesses. And now verse 6 then leads into that. So we're talking about, again, who's he that overcomes? The one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And then verse 6, now flowing on that. This is he that came by water and blood. Even Jesus Christ. Not water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. Simple verse. Not. (laughs) I have looked at this, I have studied this, and multitudes of men and women before me have looked at this and studied this and boiled it down to possibly 300 different interpretations. No, it's not that bad. Um... This is one of those difficult passages of Scripture. Now, Peter talked about Paul and Paul's writings that there were some things hard to be understood. This is one of those things that, you know, there's so much difference in Bible-believing commentators and, and church fathers down through the ages on What is he talking about specifically? This is he that came by water and blood. Even Jesus Christ. Not water only, but by water and blood. What on earth is he talking about? I'm going to give to you. You know, you you and I, we have to be Bereans. Remember what a Berean is? Search the scriptures daily. You and I are priests unto God. You and I have to, we have to study the scriptures. I'm going to share with you what the, the major, and I'm not going to give you what the liberals say, you know, because they don't believe the Bible, and they'll explain, you know, they just, clearly, there are some parameters that we study this text by. And clearly, John is, is saying, he's going back to last week, really, who is he that overcomes the world, but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so clearly, what we've already laid out and talked about, Jesus, the incarnate, the incarnation of God, you know, God in the flesh, that's who we're talking about. So all these possible interpretations are all in harmony with the fact that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. What What specific aspects? Water? Blood? Now, let's talk about that. In fact, let me back up for a minute. Because it's important that you and I understand that there are teachings in the Bible which are... All the Bible is important. Amen? Right? Nobody's going to say, oh, there's no insignificant verses. Well, I know that. But there are truths in the Bible that are more important than other truths. Let me give you an example. Keep your place here. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I've read this for many years, and until I really studied studied it more, so many things you can miss when you just kind of gloss over English words, just words, and 
you assume that they're meaning one thing because the English language, you know, you could say the same phrase and it can be interpreted five different ways depending on the context. So look what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also you are saved if ye keep in memory what I preach unto you, unless ye believed in vain. Now look at verse 3. He says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And then he goes out in and on and he expounds what the gospel is. You probably heard 1 Corinthians 15, these first few verses, are the gospel in a nutshell. Because it, it simplifies it. What is the gospel? It's the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins. And faith in that and that alone. That's the gospel. But look at verse 3. He says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. Now, I just would read that as, okay, that was like first on his agenda when he went in there. The more I study this, I've come to realize that what he's saying is, this thing that this thing I'm about to say is of first importance. This this is the this is one of those first things, primary. So I preached unto you first. This was the this was priority. This is the first thing in importance. So Paul's really setting this out above other things. Paul's really saying that this is like of Vital importance? Absolutely. Absolutely. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins is, is of utmost important importance. Now, I'm reminded, um, I mentioned this either last Wednesday or the Wednesday before that, that um, thinking of the, I've been thinking a lot about the first century church and some of the things they had to deal with. And I thank the Lord that I was not a pastor in the first century church. Really. I mean, the Jew-Gentile thing, those guys must have wanted to pull out their hair, you know. And if you think about it, um, and I mentioned this, that the, especially, so you've got, you know, basically every church in that first century was made up now of Jew and Gentile, different, different degrees of both. They all, so they all had, two kinds of packaging that they brought brought with them. Baggage, I should say, that they brought with them. And especially if you think about it, you know, the Jews, remember, they were the ones that received the oracles of God. And Paul even said that, you know, that, you know, God revealed his revelation to them. Now, in that first century, folks, remember what, what Jesus was up against was what the first century church was up against. They had, they had so ingrained in the Jewish mind the teachings of the Torah, not the Tanakh. Do you understand the difference? Tanakh, Scripture. Torah, man's tradition. Tanakh is just the, it's the Old Testament. Torah, the Nehubim, and the Kehubim. The, the, uh, that's the Tanakh. The Torah is the chapter upon chapter upon chapter upon chapter of expounding on the law 
over history of the oral tradition. So whereas in the Old Testament there was a simple command, you know, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Well, there's what, 42 chapters that flesh that out. Those 42 chapters aren't in the Old Testament. Right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of laws. 40, 42 chapters, I think it is, on specific things on how you keep the Sabbath. And remember, this was ingrained in them, so much so that when Jesus comes along and his disciples start picking uh, you know, corn, grain, on the Sabbath, they're condemned. Now, the, this was the Jewish mentality. So the asceticism, you know what asceticism is. You know what asceticism It's the, um, it was like, you know, the monks and all where they, they believe that abstaining from anything, you know, the fleshly desires and um, asceticism is a, trying to think, I probably should have written down the most concise way to, but it's believing that, um, my mind, I'm just having a hard time. Here's an example, though. This is, it came to my mind. This is probably the worst example, but um, Stonewall Jackson. I'm thinking Civil War all of a sudden. I remember reading, Stonewall, Stonewall Jackson was a born-again believer, by the way, but he had this thing that he believed that eating butter on his bread was a luxury, and, and he would be, he, he denied it every time because it would be too extravagant. So asceticism is like when you refrain from things for higher purposes. And so like the monks would refrain from everything, you know, the ascetic life. I, wish, I should have given you that word. But here's now the Jews in that first century had been brought up. Clearly the Torah was the primary ascetic, ascetic masterpiece. All the things you couldn't do that you didn't know you couldn't do. You know? And it's just thing after thing after thing. And so the Jews, when they got saved, they're bringing all this with them into the New Testament church. They've, and, and, now remember in their mind, folks, they're putting that on the level of Scripture. Remembering the holy days. What they could and couldn't eat. Clean, unclean animals. Uh, anim, uh, things offered to sacrifice to idols, circumcision. There were so many things that were in their mind that they brought in with them. And then you've got these Gentiles getting saved, just as saved as the Jews were. It's hard to imagine. And you know what they brought with them? As far as the ascetic, uh, you know, what they couldn't couldn't do? Nothing. You know, can you imagine the clash? I cannot. I just could not imagine. I can't wait to talk to some of the pastors in heaven of that first century, you know, just just talk to some, not the main ones. They're going to have lines. I'm going to go to some of the obscure ones and say, "Tell me your struggles. What did you have to deal with?" And I know, I know that it was an issue. It was such an issue that the church had their very first council, where it created such a problem. Because, you know, you've got the Jews that have all these things. You can't do this, can't do this. You've got the Gentiles who <laughs> don't count any of it. And it was dividing the church. So in Acts chapter 16, we have what's called the Jerusalem Council. Where they decided, it became such a problem, they said, we've got to discuss this. They got together, the leaders, you know, fleshed it out. And then, in fact, if you would, turn to Acts chapter 15, 
because who is it? Let's look at it. Acts 15. Because we get a summary of what they decided. After all this, all these things, circumcision, just there was this long list of things that uh, were being put upon them. Like, hey, we got to do this. You know, circumcision, we got to do this. All these things. Now in verse, let's see, in verse 28. Let me back up. Trying to, I, I forgot to look here. Who is this? Peter speaking. Actually, it might be James. If, if anyone's scanning over this, if you, it's either Peter or James. I believe that's that's uh, verse thirteen. I think it is James. We're going to go with James. Everyone go with James. How many vote for James? Doesn't really matter. Whoever said it said it. Okay. And so here we have the spokesman, and he's now sharing the results. They fleshed out all these things. And look what he says in Acts chapter 15 and verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered unto idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication." From which, if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well. Fare ye well. Let me read this again. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to, to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And then he lists, what, four things. Now, can you imagine the Christian Jew of that day? He's the one that's like, oh, he's got all these things he's carrying in. Can you imagine him hearing that, her hearing that, and being like, what? Are you kidding me? You mean all this stuff that we've got in our mind here, and you give us four things? What are you, crazy? Can you imagine that? You know, I mean, I I just cannot. This is just so amazing. Because... The Jew, the Jewish Christians, again, they came in with so much that they had been, it was ingrained in their very core of what they could and could not do. And they've got these Gentiles who have none of that. And they, they come out and say, okay, there's just four things. I, I have to believe, I can't wait to hear the stories. It'd be pretty neat. Of um, some of the Jews. I want, to, I, want to, I want to interview some of them. I don't know if we'll have microphones in heaven. You know, what, what, what was it like? I could not believe it. I was, I was there that day in Acts chapter 15. I could not believe that they said that. We're all waiting for at least a five-minute list. And like they start, they give you four things. And we're, we're like, what? So there were some things that weren't as important. That were important in the Old Testament economy. And, of course, a lot of that came from the abuse. So, let's go, let's go now. Let's jump to this text. Because your interpretation, what does he mean by the water and the blood? There is some liberty. You're going to have to be a priest. I'm going to tell you what I think. But this is not, uh, not going to break our fellowship. If you pick the 
second group that I share with you and I'm the third or whatever it is. All of these are in the context that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That He is the incarnate Son of God. That's a deal breaker. You know, somebody says, no, I don't believe Jesus Christ is God incarnate. That's what John's... John is... Remember, he is dealing with uh, the, uh, the Gnostics. They weren't called that at this time yet. But he was dealing with the Gnostics who believed, uh, and some of them taught that Jesus, the Jesus that came uh, was not in any way associated with this world. And, and there were some really peculiar teachings that went with that that literally denied that he became flesh. He couldn't have become flesh because all flesh is evil. So here's some possibilities. You ready? And we'll all we'll pick. We'll have a church split. We'll, go, we'll have the first one's over there, the second one's over here. No, we wouldn't do that. Don't worry. So here, and by the way, this is just some of the interpretations that Bible-believing, um, the, you know, theologians down through the ages have, have believed about this. Number one. So the question is, what does he mean by he came by water and blood? So the first one is that the apostle means the blood and water which flowed from Christ's side on the cross. Remember that? Okay. Uh, Augustine, uh, there's a whole list of church fathers that that's, that's their take. Water and blood. Is that it? Could be. I mean, we know that when they stabbed him, you know, the blood came out water. Okay, then there's a second one. That the reference to the water and the blood refers to the ordinances appointed by Christ. Water baptism and communion. And so there was a whole bunch of people that believed that. And by the way, we're pro two ordinances. You know, we are definitely pro ordinances. Baptism, the Lord's table, absolutely. What they symbolize, absolutely. Now, is that what John's talking about? Some people think so. Third, that he is referring to the two elements of the physical life of Jesus. This one zeroes in on this whole idea of the Gnostic, that, that John is addressing that, like this is the Jesus. Let me read some things from it. Uh, in this, this would be from this view. The indication that, was, that Jesus was truly a man, and that the apostle means to say, that he had all the properties of a human being, a spirit or soul, blood, and the watery humans of the bo- uh, the watery humors of the body. In other words, you know that the human body is made up of about sixty percent water. Men, women, a little differently, and so they're they're talking about. In fact, one person that took that said, um, J- John would be saying Jesus was born like man and died like man. He was completely human. Not some super spiritual being who had no real contact with the material world. Another commentator who takes that view said, John makes it clear that Jesus, the Jesus he speaks of is not the Gnostic phantom. Jesus who was so holy that he had nothing to do with this world. The Jesus that we must believe on is the Jesus who came by water and blood. The Jesus who was part of a real material flesh and blood earth. And so that's another take. Then there's the fourth take, that John means by water and blood. He's referring to two significant... Let me back up, in fact. Because uh, one, com- one uh, commentary kind of summarizes some of these other views. 
that he came by flesh and blood. Let me read to you what this guy said. This does not mean that when he came into the world, he was accompanied in some way by water and blood. But the idea is that the water and blood were very clearly manifest during his appearing on earth, or that they were remarkable testimonials in some way to his character and work. An ambassador might be said to come with credentials. A warrior might be said to become with a spoil of victory. A prince might be said to come with the insignia of royalty. A prophet comes with signs and wonders. And the Lord Jesus might also be said to have come with power to raise the dead and to heal disease and to cast out devils. But John here fixes the attention of a fact so impressive and remarkable in his view as to be worthy of special remark that he came by water and blood. Now I say amen to that. This is something special that is pointing to the life of the incarnate Son of God. But what aspect of it? So this other one is, again, that the fourth view is, the water is a reference to Jesus' water baptism. And for time's sake, we won't go to Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. You remember that Jesus was baptized by John in water, and the Holy Ghost came down and, and God spoke and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am ple- well pleased. And that that, you know, and the Holy Spirit came down like a, a dove. And then there's a mention of the Holy Spirit in this text. Then the second aspect would be the atoning death which he suffered, the shed blood. Romans 5.9, Ephesians 1.7, Colossians 1.14. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ over and over again. And so that the, the water and the blood are two key significant marks of his ministry. I tend to lean towards that one. So we'll be up here, right here, okay? Spurgeon made this statement. He said, A priest was always ordained by sacrificial blood, cleansing water, and oil that spoke of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus also had these three witnesses to his priestly ministry. And the idea of the Holy Ghost is mentioned again in, in that verse in 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, and then verse 8. It also refers to that. But that's not the only, there's not just four views. Here's another one. You ready? Have, has, have any of you picked yours yet? Okay. <laughs> Here's another one. That by both words, he means the ethical nature of Christ. I'm not sure how that fits in. And then uh, uh, another one, this was Clement of Alexandria, believed that by water, regeneration and faith were denoted, and by blood, the public acknowledgement of that. So, and then there's others too. And there's others that all stay within the boundaries. And here's the key, folks. The boundaries are, we are talking about the incarnate Son of God and some two aspects of His ministry. Now, whether you are a you know, whatever you, with the water and the blood, whether you think he's referring to John's baptism and his atoning work on Calvary, whether you thinking is think he's talking about the two ordinances or whatever, the key is we're talking about the same Son of God. Amen? And how important that is. Now, I have not read, I've read a lot of church history And I marvel at the things that have divided God's people. Just amazing. Um, I'd give an example, but we're out of time. Um, So the challenge is this. 
let's be careful too that um, what I just share with you, it'd be very easy for me. In fact, I was recently studying the preface to the King James translation and going back to their, they were defending the, um, the use of the uh, 8,400 marginal notes. And, and man, they got a lot of heat for that when they, they first went to press. Because people felt like when you put those marginal notes, you know, the Greek, this could be this, this could be that. You're, you're bringing doubt into the Word of God. And, it's, and, and they, he spends a whole time defending that on why they thought it was good to do that as opposed to being dogmatic. And he acknowledged, you know, remove the marginal notes and just take any translation, and, and they're talking about the King James, and it's, you know, it comes across as very definite. But again, there were thousands of times where as they studied it out, as men of integrity, they thought, you know, we think that this could be it, but there, it very well could be this. And so they put something in the margin, which they knew would create some doubt. But it's like this. Let's go back here. Whatever, it would have been so much easier for me to just say, and, and in fact, I even did. I was, I was not even going to tell you which one I take. I told you what I tell you. I was the, um, I was the fourth view, right? Yeah, and so I told you that. But um, but I didn't tell you dogmatically, right? You know, like I didn't, you don't feel any pressure like, well, you have to believe what I believe, right? In fact, if we have what, one, two, we have however many people we have here, if you all came up to me and said, well, no, I don't take your view, I take the other view, we're still friends. We're still brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can still go to the same church. It's amazing, isn't it? Now, if you tell me, now, Pastor, you know, all those were good, but... um. I, I don't think Jesus was incarnate, then we have a problem, <laughs> right? So let's praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. We're talking about this Jesus Christ incarnate and the testimony of the blood, the water, the blood, and the Spirit. We praise God for that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for our precious Savior. And I pray that you would, that you would bless us as we study your word. Help us to be as we're, as priests. Help us to, to dig in and study. Uh, Lord, not that, or just so that we can know what your word says and what you're communicating. And we're so grateful for the godly men and women of the past. Those that have studied the scriptures. And uh, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be students of your word. And we ask your blessing tonight on this dear flock. In Jesus' precious name, amen.